series that has a little bit of a funny name. We're calling it uh, bumpers, uh, rumble strips, I should say, rumble strips. And uh, maybe some of you uh, forgot that that's what they were called, didn't know that that's what they were called, or maybe have a different name for them. But rumble strips are those series of strips that you'll find on the sides of the highway, sometimes in the middle too, but especially on the sides of the highway, that when your car tire goes over them, they make that rumbling sound, maybe make your car vibrate a little bit. Now, let me ask, uh, any of you ever hit the rumble? strips a little bit, yeah. Just a few brave people that are, uh, you know, confident enough to say that they have. Uh, rumble strips are not just there to alert to everyone in your car an opportunity to make fun of your driving. Uh, they are actually there for a much more important reason. Uh, maybe I could say it this way, that um, they are there to alert you to the reality that if you don't change direction, you're going to have a problem. So on the sides of any road or highway, there are things you don't want to drive on or into, like a ditch or off even a cliff or a concrete barrier or maybe some gravel. And so the rumble strips make sure you know that you're heading into danger. And that's exactly what we're hoping this series does for all of us. That what we're going to be taking a look at are some things along the road of life in which we can accidentally find ourselves, and sometimes intentionally, but going off into a ditch, a ditch that is dangerous. And, and the reason why we need church or people in our lives to be those rumble strips for us is that oftentimes what we're going to find is that most of the people around us are already heading into these ditches that we are talking about. They don't realize that it's dangerous or they, they don't care. And so it's good that we talk about these things. And really, we have two goals for this series. The first is this, uh, to make you aware of ditches along the road. Like I said, many of these culturally that we're going to talk about over the next five weeks, people may not even think at surface level are a big deal. But what we're going to find is that there's a ditch associated with them, and we want to make you aware of those ditches. And then the other thing is to discover what God says about how to avoid them. What direction does God give us, and how does Jesus each week make a difference in how we view these ditches along the road. So, today we're going to begin this series by talking about this topic, busyness. And as I thought about this topic, as I thought about how um, I have a tendency to be busy or gravitate towards busyness, I, I came to quickly recognize and realize that this is a very nuanced topic. So from the start, I think there's some things that uh, I need to just you know, share as disclaimers. The, the first is this, that God's will for us or his plan as we see it in scripture is not to be lazy and to waste our lives and to do nothing with the, the life that he's given to us. That's not what he wants. 
At the same time, um, I don't want anyone to leave this message today uh, with a big guilt trip around the fact that you have a calendar that's pretty full right now. It's, it's not wrong to do things. It's not wrong to, to plan for things. It's not even wrong on a certain level uh, to be busy because the reality is, is that there are just times in life um, where we're going to be busy. The first week of school, anyone experience that? It's going to be busy for parents, students. It's going to be busy as you get a feel for all the, the new classness or new classes or the new school. It's going to be busy. Um, if you've had kids, if you've had a newborn, it's going to be busy. And sometimes it's going to be busy in the middle of the night, maybe a few times during the night. It's busy when you have kids. If, if you have a job, most of us have jobs. There's a complexity to life and work that at times, and at certain times of the year, it gets amplified that there is going to be a busyness there, okay? So maybe I should say it this way. We can't ever 100% eliminate busy from our lives. And I don't even think in the way that I just talked about it that God even wants us to totally eliminate busy from our lives in the sense that I just talked about. But what we're going to talk about today is, is a different kind of busy. Maybe for our purposes, I will call it crazy busy. It's the type of busy that, to be honest, we have some choices in. We have the ability to tamp it down a little bit. It's the type of busy where you are so exhausted every night because you're just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and there's the ability to create some margin in there, but we just don't because there's more stuff we could do and the kids need to do more. It's the type of busy that over time eventually causes there to be physical or emotional or even spiritual issues that come up because we don't have the time in our life to even prioritize the things that we need and know should be prioritized because we've made choices to cram our schedules or our lives so filled with good things, yes, but um, maybe not the main thing, and we haven't learned how to rest. So the type of busy or the ditch that I'm talking about that comes with busyness is this. When your life is so busy that your emotions, relationships, and priorities begin to suffer. And if you were to look at America, if you were to look at studies about how Americans you know, live their days, you will know, you'll see, you'll find that many, if not most Americans suffer from this busyness that is dangerous. And in fact, uh, even secular psychologists and sociologists, they have begun to discover what this is doing on people or doing for people. I, I've quoted uh, Stephanie Brown before, but this quote I thought would be helpful for us to read. She wrote this in the New York Times some years ago. A secular psychologist. The exhausting, fast pace of life 
promotes overstimulation and overscheduling, which become chronic stressors that lead to behavioral mood and attention disorders. We cannot see that we are causing our physical, emotional, and behavioral health problems as we try harder to go faster. And then, my interjection, instead of resting, we just turn to medication to treat the unforeseen consequences, whether that be emotional or whether that be physical. We believe that we should be able to go this fast and there is something wrong with us if we can't keep up. And it's interesting, I read something this week in a good book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, I highly advise that book, uh, which mentioned that if you look at history, up until about the mid-1900s, one of the statuses of that you were, you were wealthy or that you were successful is that you had the ability to have leisure in your life where you didn't do much. And then about the middle 1900s, and especially today, he points out that kind of has all changed where the, the, st- the status of uh, successful or wealthy is that you're able to do more and go more places and be even busier, maybe not at work, but doing other things. And again... On a certain level, there's nothing wrong with busy, if it's the healthy kind. Jesus, even, during his three-year ministry, we could say he was kind of busy. But when it comes to crazy busy, let's let's say it this way in our first fill-in for today. We were not created for a life consumed with busyness and lacking in rest. And as I was thinking about all of you, my hunch was that I did not need to remind you of this. My hunch was, for most of you, you would have already known that it's important to rest, that you can't be mentally or physically busy all of the time, that you would have understood that this is dangerous. You already know all that stuff, don't you? What I believe and know is the hard part is for many of us, what do we do about it? How do we make some changes? And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. And the answer is not going to be in some life hack or some good advice or some app that will help you schedule things better. Like Those things can help. But the answer to this is actually deeper. The solution to busy doesn't start with a change of schedule. It starts right here with the change of our hearts. And so we have the privilege today of listening to Jesus and what he has to say about this topic. Jesus today is going to be your rumble to help you be aware of the ditch and to give you some direction for our hearts and for our lives. Now, we're going to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 11. It's one of the the four biographies of Jesus' life. It was written uh, by God's inspiration by one of Jesus' uh, 12 uh, disciples, a former tax collector named Matthew. And at the beginning of chapter 11, to give you a little bit of context, 
Jesus, as he speaks about the people that he had been preaching to, he's frustrated. He's upset. He's kind of angry. And I want you to see this as we read some verses, verses 20 and 21. So then Jesus began to denounce the towns. You feel the emotion there in which most of his miracles had been performed because they, the people in those towns, did not repent. And then Jesus is quoted, Woe to you, Chorazin. That's the name of a town. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you, in those towns, had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, two other towns, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And so Jesus is frustrated because what has been happening is he and the disciples have been traveling to town to town. They've been doing miracles. They've been healing the the lame, allowing the, the, uh, the blind to see, been doing these miracles for people. He's been preaching to them about repentance, to repent of their sin, and that he Jesus in the flesh is the answer to them. Repent of sin, turn to me for forgiveness, and they've rejected it. They've decided that they're just going to continue with how they were living and believing, and Jesus is upset. But let me help you understand Jesus' frustration here. It's not like the frustration of a salesman who gave his best pitch and now these people don't want what he's got and he's angry because they've rejected him in that way. Or a politician who can't convince someone to vote for him and he doesn't get their vote. It's not a selfish frustration. When when Jesus sees these people who have decided to live in the way they've always lived, that is trying to earn God's love through the law or through what they would do and have rejected him, he's angry. Why? Because Jesus has a heart of compassion for them. Jesus' frustration is out of a heart of love because he knows that there is something better for Chorazin and Bethsaida. He knows that it is so easy. Just turn to him to find peace, to find rest. And yet they don't want anything to do with it. That's the heart as we unpack busyness today. It's good to see Jesus' heart at the beginning. That's the kind of heart he has for us. Do you think he gets frustrated with us when we do so many things, but maybe, as one example, put time with him on the back burner or other important priorities as not the priority in our life? Do you think he's frustrated? Yes. Why? Because he has a heart of compassion and he loves you and he knows what's best for you and it's right there. And so his heart of compassion for them is also his heart of compassion for you. So here's what he says. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I love how Jesus puts those two words together. 
In the Greek, the word for weary means tired or exhausted. The word for burdened means carrying or pulling a load that, or a weight that you can't do on your own. And when he puts those two things together, it really describes pretty much all of the different things that cause us to be weary and burdened. You you see, uh, part of our weariness might be because we've overscheduled ourselves. We haven't found uh, the right uh, rhythm of things. We've decided to put the kids into many things, and there's no time to physically rest. We're weary. For some of you, you have not come here today struggling with a physical calendar weariness, but your mind is tired. You're stressed out or you're worried or you're fearful. And there's this mental exhaustion that you go in and out of and you're weary and you're burdened. Uh, For others of us, this, this weary and burdened has more to do with our spiritual lives. And I know that I am a child of God and I sing the song and I confess the sin and I hear what the pastor says, but I'm still pulling along with me the weight of guilt from the past of things that I wish I would have done but didn't or ways that I failed that are still in some way affecting my life or my heart or my mind. We are weary and burdened. Jesus says, come. If you're feeling that way, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of the above, any way that you would be weary or burdened, his direction for you today is to come to him. You see, there are apps and daily planners that can help with your scheduling. Sometimes, sometimes guys, wives are helpful with that as well. They'll let you know. You can go on vacations and you can go to the spa if, um, if your job is causing you to be exhausted, you can begin to look maybe for a change of career that will help with that. If you are in a position where you're the boss and you can hire and you're exhausted, maybe, maybe what you need to do is to hire some more people. If, if your parents um, and housework is getting you, you know, exhausted, that's what God created kids for. You, know, you can just have them do more chores. So, like, there's, there's solutions, Right? They're solutions. But it's not the solution. It's not. Because if you're anything like me, you'll find more things to do and more things to sign the kids up for and more ways to use your time. It's not the solution, those things. Number two, there is rest to be found in Jesus. We're getting right to the heart of things today, guys. That real rest does not start even with a smaller schedule. It begins with Jesus. What does that mean? He says, I'm going to give you rest. Well, good thing. There's another verse. Here's what Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you. So I'm going to give you rest. Now, here's here's what that looks like. I'm going to give you my yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Now, um, when I was a kid... I thought I knew what this meant. You probably know where I'm going with this. 
I thought that Jesus was saying, literally I did, that you're supposed to, you know, take my yoke upon you. I had no idea what that meant, but that's the only yoke I knew. Most of you have never, not most, some of you have never thought that deeply, and you maybe haven't even thought, yeah, what is a yoke? What does he mean? Well, let me show you. Here's what Jesus meant. Back in that time, and for centuries earlier and afterwards, what a yoke was, was this harness that connected two work animals together, like cows or maybe mules, and then To that harness, they then would, as these two animals are connected, they would also then connect a cart or a wagon or something like that. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Like, here's a yoke that you are needing to now pull something with. That doesn't make any sense to me. Look back at those words again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. And this is, I would think that Jesus would say something like, you know, I will take your problems away. But that's not what it says. Or I'll give you rest. I will remove whatever's burdening you. In a very weird way, Jesus actually seems to do the opposite, to give you something else to carry, to pull things with. He says, I will give you a yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Doesn't seem to make sense. Jesus, as he gives us rest, does not promise to take away your burden, does not promise to give you an easy life this side of heaven. Instead, he says, take a yoke. So here's a picture of a yoke. I want you to think about you being yoked to something. Do you know that um, this is about as countercultural of an idea as you can think of right now? What I mean by that is the, the prevailing American ideal by many is that no one's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to be yoked to anyone. No one can tell me who I am or what I should do or what I should think. The thing is, first of all, how's that been working for most people in our society? And number two, it's just not true. You cannot not be yoked to something. Maybe here's a different way to think about it. Um, Well, how about this? Is a recognition that we're all yoked to something. Even if you think you're not yoked to something, you are. What is it? People yoke themselves to a whole lot of things. What I'm talking about is whatever that thing is that people live for, that's what they've yoked themselves to. So for some people, maybe it's a person. I'm thinking especially maybe of um, a romantic relationship, a marriage, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, where your, your entire world is connected to that person. And as Jerry Maguire said, but is not true, that that person completes me. And I find my joy in that person. And I find my, my identity 
identity in that person. The only problem is that person was not created to give you those things, and you will either be disappointed by them or you will crush them with expectations they were not created to bring because no person can complete you. And so what happens is if you're yoked to a person, you become codependent and you won't be healthy. Or sometimes we we yoke ourselves to our career and that's who we are. It's what we do. That's who we are. And that works fine, not very long. And our identity and how we feel about ourselves is connected to the the next review or the next quarter's uh, stats and outcomes or how much we make or don't make. And the quality of ourself is connected to the the measure of our work, and that doesn't work. Um, Sometimes people yoke themselves to their children. I get it. This is a hard one. I've lived it, and... I'm living it right now, finding a lot of my sense of uh, being in my kids. But someday, they're going to move out or move to Wisconsin. Or they are going to, you know, you're going to have uh, challenges with them. And people use success, attention, the list can go on and on. Here's the thing. Um, there's busy and then there's this busy under the busy and it causes this busy because this busy is in here and it's driving you to do something driving you to find significance or value it's a heart issue and I'm just going to be honest with you number three you will always be busy when searching for significance outside of Christ. You'll never find rest if our significance and value and sense of well-being is found in anything other than Christ. Now, I tell you this, and I don't do it perfectly. I still struggle. I need to hear this, and maybe that's you too. You know this, but it's important to hear this as we avoid the ditch that busyness can take us, take us to. So here's what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, I'm loving, I'm filled with grace, I am humble. Jesus speaking, I love you, more than I even care about myself. It's called grace, undeserved love. It's called humility, Jesus putting, being our servant, even as the savior of the world and God. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my yoke Jesus' yoke, it's easy. It's not the yoke of having to earn your significance in what you do or how you prove yourself to be. My yoke is grace. I give you your significance. I do all the work. You get all the benefits. My yoke that I want you to take on, it's easy. And my burden is not heavy. My burden is light. In the Old Testament, God made it clear that on the seventh day, his people, us, all people, were supposed to rest. God created us with a need to rest. 
And finding time to schedule rest into our lives, whether that's Sunday or some other day, is really important. Because while that's not a law anymore that you have to follow or you're sinning, God still knows how we're best wired. And it's important to have rest. But I will tell you again that what God has come to bring through Jesus is a more important thing And those other things come after it. It starts with a rest for your souls. Number four, the best rest is rest for your soul. That's where it starts. That's what we need the most. There's a work that's beneath the work, the busy that's beneath the busy. And there's also a rest that's beneath that outside rest, that motivates us to understand we need rest because we're not trying to earn things, significance or value. We find our rest in Jesus. Now, let's go back to that picture as we kind of close. I want you to picture your head in one of those. Kind of funny. I was going to actually like crop my head in there or Matt's head, but I didn't do that. Um, And now, instead of your spouse or your career, or your children. I want you to picture Jesus right next to you. And oftentimes what farmers would do, it was they would take their most strong ox, their most experienced ox, the one that could do the work almost on its own, and they would put next to him their weak ox who would then pull them along. And that, my friends, when you're weary and burdened, I want you to look to your right or maybe it's to your left and I want you to know that Jesus is with you. And when you're exhausted and feel alone, look to your right and know you're not alone. And when you're tired, and feel like you're, you don't know that you have the strength to get through this next season or this current one, look to your right, look to your left, and know that Jesus' strength is walking with you and find rest for your soul knowing that he's with you. When you're feeling loaded down by, by guilt of sin, look to your right, see Jesus is right there, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and know that you don't need to be weary or burdened, that you can find rest for your soul because Jesus has done what is needed. I'm going to say it this way. Jesus took on all the work so that you can rest. One of the most awesome things as a parent, and this doesn't happen very often, is when you come home, let's say you had to leave quickly right after dinner and you come home, you didn't put everything away before you left and you come home and it's, it's all put away. Like the kids were home and one of them had this idea, let's help mom and dad out by cleaning up the kitchen. Now this doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's amazing. They did all the work and now I get to rest. That's what Jesus did. He did the exhausting work that caused his death on a cross. He did the exhausting work, not just dying, but being crucified. Six hours of hanging on the cross, bearing your sin and mine. He did all the work in our place. 
not so that we just continue to be busy being busy, but so that we can find rest for our souls. <laughs> A chronic busyness, I'm telling you, it's a ditch. It's a ditch that we can easily fall into. Do you know where staring, staying out of the ditch starts? It starts by finding rest for your soul and knowing that you have all that you need in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to uh, be reminded that you are right with us. That as we, we look to our right, uh, spiritually speaking, you're right there with us. You've been yoked to us through your son, Jesus, and that you're going to be the rest and are the rest that we need. We thank you for giving us rest for our souls that started with your work on the cross. I just pray that all of us that are listening to this message, that read through Matthew chapter 11, that, that we would grow in understanding the rest that we need and where real rest begins. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.